Booker Tov, everyone. Today is uh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, Having yeah. a wonderful day. Today is the 11th of, of Teves. And we're learning uh, in memory of my in-laws, Zev Simons and Rachel Simons from Sydney, Australia. Um, their 14th yard site. It says on their tombstone, because they passed away together in a car accident, <laughs> who were beloved and pleasant during their lifetimes, and they did not depart during their passing. Mm-hmm. For one of them to have survived without the other probably would have been uh, also a challenge. So, I mean, it was a big tragedy, obviously, but uh, the fact that neither of them had to witness the aftermath is itself a blessing. But Baruch Hashem, nine out of their ten children are married, Baruch Hashem, and uh, we, they have many, many grandchildren that were worth with this past Shabbat. Um, so they should have a nachas, chsidish nachas. They actually wrote a letter requesting from the family that they should go in the way of chsidish and chabad. They just read it. If someone told them they should write something, if we were to both pass away, this is a message. It was unbelievable because they started writing a will, you know, and someone said, write something to your kids. Our uncle was convincing them to do this. And uh, they, they had written something about uh, the way they want everyone to li- live together in harmony and the ways of chassidus. So, Yavtali Yitzchak, also today's Yartzad, Yavtali Yitzchak ben Baruch Meisha Levi, Rachel Bas Mardachai, and Zev Yesef ben Abshalem. So we're learning chapter 8 in Tanya. If you guys have to go do your thing, please, by all means. Okay, so chapter number 8 in Tanya, Perechas, chapter 8. So far we've said, when you eat something that's kosher, and you do it for the right reason, you can elevate the food to God, right? What page are you on? We're on page 76. Let's say you have a kosher piece of... You're on Monday. I'm going to Wednesday, 76. 76. Wednesday, I thought today was Tuesday. Today is Wednesday. You missed it because it was raining yesterday. And you have in mind that you want the energy from the steak to help you, let's say, build a mikveh, right? So then the energy in the steak is being elevated to God because you're using, you made a bracha, it's kosher, and it's klipas noiga, you could be elevated. But what happens if a person decides he's going to eat squid and he's going to make a bracha and he's going to have in mind that after he eats the squid, God forbid, he's going to then go ahead to the hospital and visit the sick people. I've known people who bought treif meat and then kosher it. Well, you can't kosher treif meat. <laughs> But what I'll tell you is, even... Back, back in the 40s and 50s, it was sadly, even the 60s. Really? A lot of people did. did that. Well, yeah, well, Dr. Goodkin was born in 1918. That's recent. Huh? That's recent. That's recent. 1918. Not, oh, that's during the Spanish flu. So uh, basically... <laughs> he, he looks, he's seen many pandemics come and go. So basically, if you see... If you if you someone says I'm gonna God forbid eat non-kosher, it's asur. You know, a lot of people's parents, grandparents told them asur, asur. What does it mean, asur? Matarnished. But also means it's tied, tied down, tied down to the klipa, and therefore you can't elevate it. Even if you eat it by mistake and you had it in mind for holiness, it's gonna be stuck. Chapter 8, there's an additional aspect and matter of forbidden foods for which reason they are called Asur. Isur, bound and attached. 
even if one ate a forbidden food unwittingly and his intention in eating was for the sake of heaven. In other words, in order to serve God with the energy derived from it, had the food been permitted, the very act of eating for the sake of heaven would have sufficed to extract the good from the evil of the food's vitality as explained above. In this instance, however, forbidden foods were eaten for the sake of heaven. He ate it for a kosher reason, holy reason. Not only did he have the intention, but began Paul v'yasa. Moreover, even if he actually carried out his intention, having studied and prayed with the energy derived from that food, again, had the food been permitted and the person studied and prayed with the energy provided by the food, the energy would have been elevated to sanctity. But because the food was forbidden, the vitality contained in it does not ascend or become clothed in the words of Torah and prayer that he studies and prays with the energy of the food, as in the case with permitted foods, because it has it is held captive in the power of the sitra akhra, of the three unclean klipot, which do not permit the energy of the food to be elevated to sanctity. So that food gets stuck. Now we're on page 77. What happens if someone eats kosher meat but it's prohibited rabbinically, not biblically. But this food, the rabbis declared you can't eat. I'll give you an example. If a person has a chicken sandwich with cheese, chicken and cheese is not biblically prohibited. Kosher chicken, kosher cheese, biblically, according to most opinions, you're allowed to eat together. The rabbis said you cannot. So what happens if a person decides that he's not going to violate the words of the Torah, the written Torah, but he's going to violate the words of the rabbis. That is also prohibited. And that also, that food cannot be elevated. Because the, the rabbis have the power to make something prohibited. The Torah itself says, do not deviate from the words of the rabbis. So you're violating a biblical decree by going against the rabbis. This is even so if it is forbidden for the, for, by reason of a rabbinic prohibition. For the words, in other words, the prohibitions of the scribes are even more stringent than the words of Torah. That's what the Mishnah Sanhedrin says. They're more stringent than Torah. So then using electricity on Shabbos like the conservative Jews and the reformed Electricity Jews? of Shabbos is not, it's not a rabbinic, it's biblical. <laughs> it's not, that's not, you don't have that issue. That's <laughs> not a problem. The chicken and the cheese, chicken and cheese are rabbinic, but fire on Shabbos is biblical. It's not rabbinic. But he's saying, don't, don't think that rabbinic is lenient. Rabbinic is more strict. And therefore, the desire, by the way, to do evil, to, to eat non-kosher, for example, for a Jew, is not a Jewish yetzahara. There's a Jewish evil inclination, a non-Jewish evil inclination. A Jewish evil inclination might say, enjoy the kosher steak. That's a Jewish yetzahara. Uh, a Yitzhahara that says go into McDonald's and have the, 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 the cheese mac, that's not a Jewish evil inclination, that's a non-Jewish evil inclination. Even our Yitzhahara doesn't really want that. We somehow, somehow could get, get affected by the surroundings and get a non-Jewish uh, Yitzhahara. That's what he's going to say here. Therefore the Yitzhahara, evil impulse, and the force that lusts after forbidden things, is also one of the non-Jewish demons, which is the Yetzar Hara of the nations whose souls are derived from the three unclean klipot. 
They therefore lost after forbidden matters, since the forbidden matters do derive their energy from the three unclean klipot. On the other hand, the evil impulse and the craving force after permissible things, even when done solely to satisfy one's cravings, in which case, as mentioned earlier, even the permissible matters descends into the utter evil of the three unclean klipot, still is one of the Jewish demons. It is, as it were, a Jewish evil impulse. For it, the vitality of permitted things can be reverted to holiness, as was explained above. The difference between eating a kosher piece of meat for gluttonous reasons or non-kosher piece of meat is when the person eats the non-kosher piece of meat, the vitality that is in the energy in the bloodstream cannot be elevated because it's three impure klipot that cannot come back to holiness unless a person does very high-level tshuva. Whereas if a person ate kosher with the wrong intentions, even though it descends into the three unclean klipot because he ate them, the, the act wasn't forbidden. The intention was forbidden. When a person eats non-kosher, the act is forbidden. When a person eats kosher with the wrong intention, the act is okay. It was the intention. So then when a person changes their intention and regrets what they did wrong, they re-elevate it. Much easier to handle. Right? But at the moment that the person ate with gluttonous intent, it draws down the klipas nalega into the three impure klipos. has to be extracted from there. But it can be much easier extracted than, than non-kosher stuff. What happens until then, when the person had the gluttonous desires eating kosher stuff, it's Although the vitality of permitted foods eaten out of bodily desire can revert to holiness to the person's repentance, nevertheless, before it has reverted to holiness, it is Sitra Achra and even afterwards, after the person repented and elevated the energy of the food to holiness, a trace of it remains attached to the person's body. So when a person, say, ate in a gluttonous way, later repents, there's, at that very moment that he ate, it, what happens to the food? It becomes part of the bloodstream. And part of it, of the negativity, stays in the body. And then there's what happens when a person passes away, there's a special purification that the soul goes through. Purgatory. Uh, certain things, certain things that clean the soul. Since each item of food and drink that one ingests immediately becomes flood, blood, blood and flesh of his flesh, and, and flesh of his flesh. Since the food which became his flesh and blood was evil at the time of consumption, having been eaten for the sake of bodily pleasure, a trace of the klipa remains in the body even after the person has repented and elevated the vitality of the food to holiness. It's page 78. This is why the body must undergo the purgatory of the grave. Page 78. A specific punishment for the body. In order to cleanse it and purify it of the uncleanliness which it had received from the enjoyment of the mundane things and pleasures which are from the impurity of the Klippat Noga and of the Jewish demons. In other words, the Jewish Yetzirah which desires permitted matters. So who does not need to go through this purgatory of the grave? Literally, it's knocking on the grave. That's the Chibut HaKever. There are certain people that never, ever indulged in this world. And one of them is the author of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda the Prince, who was very wealthy. But none of the money he had, he had radishes during the winter, off-season food, before Amazon and before Vans. Mm -hmm. And basically, 
he's picked up his fingers and said, I never, I want, before he passed away, he says, I want you to know that these hands never enjoyed, had indulgence in this world, one iota. That person doesn't need to go through chibet kever, doesn't need purgatory of the grave. Unless one had never derived enjoyment from this world all his life, in other words, either he actually derived no enjoyment or his enjoyment was not of this world, since all his actions were completely for the sake of mitzvot and holiness. He might have had a good, good meal on Shabbos, but he did it for the sake of the pleasure of Oneg Shabbos, enjoyment of Shabbos, which is a mitzvah. As was the case with Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Judah the Prince, who said at the time of his demise that he had no enjoyment of this world even to the extent of his small finger. Wow. What about, we talked about action. What about speech? What about talk? talking? Are we allowed to just talk, idle talk? Nothing, worthless talk. So now we're going to talk about Dvarim Betelim, idle talk. We shall now learn what is necessary for the rectification of permitted words not spoken for the sake of heavens. I'll give you an example, the difference. When someone says, Lashon Hara, bad talk about other people, that's, that's not Klipas Noga. That's prohibited talk. Of course that is prohibited, and that is three impure Klipot. We're talking about talk that's not holy, but it's not unholy. It's in between. For example, just talking about politics, the weather, just small talk. So those things, of course, can be done for holy purposes. Let's say you're saying to someone, the weather outside today is rainy. You should wear a jacket and make sure you're staying healthy and guard your body, which is a mitzvah. It's important to be healthy. So then that small talk is with a purpose or a business. I need to make money. I need to be able to provide for my family, be able to give tzedakah, be able to have Shabbos. So permitted talk, which is not prohibited and not holy, which holy talk is Torah and prayer. Middle talk, can be done for the right reason, for the wrong reason, and there's even a middle ground reason, as we're going to learn. Let's say inside. As for innocent idle chatter, such as in the case of an ignoramus who cannot study. Why an ignoramus? Because if he's able to study, then he should constantly study. He has an obligation to study. So then idle chatter is prohibited. For a Am Haaretz, an ignoramus, it may be permissible because he doesn't know how to learn Torah. He must have his soul cleansed from the impurity of this klipa through its being rolled in the hollow of a sling, as is stated in the Zohar Parshat Peshalach, page 59. What is the hollow of the sling? This punishment is described as being slung from one end of the world to the other, or from Israel to other lands, as the meaning of this is that the soul is flung from one extreme to the other. First it is shown the truth and preciousness of holiness, and then it is slung into, a, into and reminded of the thoughts and words it experienced while in this physical world, a most painful experience for the soul. Remember, all these punishments of the soul, they're not physical, spiritual. When a person in the next world realizes and is forced to, in the world of Emet, forced to be brought back to their same thoughts and see them in the next world, it's a pain for them because they realize how stupid and nourish and foolish it was. That's what the hollow slung is, that going to the world of truth and then being exposed back to the mundane negative things that person had done, it's, it's, a, very, it's a pain for the soul and that cleanses the soul. 79. That is all permissible speech. What about Lashon Hara, which is prohibited speech? 
But with regards to forbidden speech, such as scoffing and slander and the like, which being prohibited stem from the three completely unclean clipot. In other words, a person laughs at everybody or says bad things. The hollow of a sling alone does not suffice to cleanse and remove the impurity of the soul. But it, the soul, must descend into Gehenim. What is Gehenim? Purgatory, which is a greater punishment and thus more effective in cleansing the soul. Remember, even in Judaism, punishment is not just punishment. It's there to cleanse in the person. To clean. It's not just for the sake of punishment. And it's funny, Hasid, interesting, Hasidus doesn't talk a lot about punishments. If you notice, this is one of the rare occasions that you see in Tanya talking about punishment. Usually, it focuses on the light of doing Torah mitzvahs. But Alter Rebbe describes literally this is what happens. And that's why Kaddish, for example, is said for people for the 12, for 11 months because the longest someone could be in purgatory is 12 months. And therefore, you don't say Kaddish for a parent for more than 11 because if a person says 12, that shows that they feel like their parents needed the full dose of cleansing and that's not respectful. And in fact, the Rebbe Rashab actually stopped at 11 months. Recently, we had someone who showed me who was... I made a celebration for 11 months since his brother passed away. Because after 11 months, the person doesn't say Kaddish. The Rebbe Rashab said he'd said Kaddish one more day and regretted it later. Because basically, the cutoff at 11 months is... So the question is, then, why does... Uh, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the after 11 months, if Kaddish elevates the soul and helps the soul, why not say it constantly? The answer is that once the soul reaches 11 months... And after every, uh, for it goes such a high level that it's beyond the elevation of the Kaddish. Besides, on the yard side, where Kaddish is still set, and would it makes the soul go even higher. So too, with one who is not an ignoramus, he's able to engage in the study of Torah, but occupies himself instead with idle chatter. Let's say you have a few minutes, you can either fill it with content, Torah study, or with nothing. The hollow of the sling alone cannot effectively scour and cleanse the soul. But it must receive the severe penalties which are meted out for neglect of the Torah in particular. Apart from the general retribution for the neglect of positive commandments through indolence, namely the purgatory of snow as is explained elsewhere. Laziness. Now we're talking about what about secular knowledge? What about um, study of secular learning? So it's an interesting concept. Being involved with studying the secular, secular learning, Maimonides, for example, who was a doctor, he studied it as a way to enhance his Torah. So that was permitted. But a person just wants to learn secular items, in a way, it's worse than idle chatter. Why? Because idle chatter has no wisdom, right? So it doesn't impurify your intellect. But secular wisdom actually touches your Chabad, your Chachma Binandas, which is worse. Because 
occupying him oneself with the intellectual disciplines of the nations of the world is likewise included in the category of engaging in inconsequential matters insofar as the sin of neglecting the Torah is concerned for the studying the intellectual disciplines of the nations too. One is guilty of neglecting Torah study as is explained in the laws of Torah study. Right, yes, sir, you say that to Muslims, so if you have time, you could read Shakespeare, or you could read Torah, of course a person should learn intellect of Torah. Wherever the impurity of the intellectual disciplines of the nations is greater than the impurity of idle speech. Page 80. Why? For the latter, clothe and defile only the emotions which emanate from the holy element of Ruach, air within his divine soul. When a person speaks idle talk, there's no wisdom, so it only impurifies the emotional level because there's no chachma, there's no wisdom in there. By tainting them, this, it's tainting his emotions with the impurity of klipat noga contained in the idle speech, which is derived from the evil element of ruach, air, which is one of the components of this klipa in his animal soul as mentioned above. Why air? Because air has no substance. And this idle chatter has no substance. Idle speech does not, however, defile the levels of Chabad, the intellectual faculties in the soul. For it is but words of foolishness and ignorance. Since even fools and ignoramuses can speak that way, since these are not intellectual matters, the intellect remains uninvolved and untainted. What happens when a person indulges in learning wisdoms of the nations? Not so in the case of the science of the nations, thereby one clothes and defiles his divine soul's faculties of Chabad intellect with the impurity of the Klippat Noga contained in those sciences. With wither, they, the sciences, have fallen through the shattering of the vessels out of the hind, hinder part of Chachma, of the wisdom of holiness, as is known to the students of the Kabbalah. Thus, the study of these sciences contaminates the intellectual faculties of the godly soul and is therefore much worse than idle speech, which contaminates only the emotional faculties. But there's an exception Maimonides and Nachmanides. Elam Ken is a person that uses it for God. Unless one employs them, these sciences, as a useful instrument vis-a-vis, as a means of earning a more affluent livelihood with which to be able to serve God. person wants to become a doctor because he realizes he could make a, um, a better living, an accountant, and study those sciences. So he can make a better living to be able to properly serve God. Most important to help people. Correct are doing it for a positive purpose. Or unless he knows how to apply them, the sciences, in the service of God, or to his better understanding of his Torah example, he utilizes mathematics to better understand the laws of the sanctification of the moon, or uses mathematics to know how big the cistern of a mikveh needs to be. Just to give you, you know, an interesting example, 40 sa'ah. So he uses math for that reason, so then it's not just mundane, it becomes holiness. This is the reasons by why Maimonides and Nachmanides of blessed memory and their peers engaged in them in the sciences since they were 
able to utilize this knowledge in the service of God and Torah. So again, there's two reasons when the wisdom of the nations is okay. Number one, you're using it to make a living and, and you need to make a living and, take, and, and make a parnasa, which is used for, for living like a Jew and giving tzedakah. Or number two, the actual sciences, you figure out a way to make it holy by using it to, to learn how to do the astronomy related to know when Rosh Chodesh begins. So you need the mathematics for that. Or you need to be able to learn how to measure a mikvah or build a shul and so on and so forth. Then the sciences become elevated for holiness because you're using it for a positive. But just to use it, just simply to know the knowledge, spend the time doing something really worthwhile, learning Torah, much better idea. May the world be filled with the knowledge of God like the water covers the seabed with the coming of Mashiach immediately now, Amen.